folks here we are another gd podcast tonight i have special guest on the podcast to talk not only about his service career and his transition into the civilian world but also a exciting match that we've got coming up to support local law enforcement here in the state of florida that match is happening in the middle of february down in the tampa bay area so if you're in that area come check it out we're going to talk about that a little bit later but Q, go ahead and introduce yourself. Kind of give me a, a brief, brief rundown. Give me the origin story of how you ended up in in Florida. Well, my parents got married. Um, no, uh, so I uh, joined the army back in uh, I think '06. Uh, I got an 11 Bravo contract. Actually, got a thirty-two thousand dollars signing bonus uh, for infantry. Uh, uh, joining during the surge. Um, yep. Yeah, you still was, got all that money too, don't you? Uh, no, <laughs> I had a Camaro and it's already gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I did have uh, what do you call it? So after uh, Fort Benning and all that good stuff, went to uh, Fort Lewis 520th Infantry, uh, deployed with them to Iraq. Um, uh, left uh, Fort Benning, went to El Paso, Texas, um, and I helped stand up the Striker Brigade for 11 AD out there. Uh, for 417 infantry and then we deployed to afghanistan uh during this time frame uh my main uh spot was uh either sniper sniper team leader and then eventually sniper section leader for the entire battalion uh basically i helped set up the sniper sections run the sniper sections and uh people came looking to me for answers sometimes where i had to you know ask other people for the answers uh so we all do that <laughs> Uh, after that, uh, I left the army uh, after just uh, right at seven and a half years. Did six months in the guard. Absolutely hated it. Um, it was probably the worst army experience I've ever had. Um, and so, after doing just six months there, I was able to get hired with a law enforcement agency in the Tampa Bay area. Um, shortly after that, I did a. Uh, I got on the SWAT team. Uh, they heard about my sniper career. I started revamping the entire sniper program after I've seen so how bad it was being ran and how the liability was insanely uh, horrible uh, for the for a better lack of words. Uh, so I took over that sniper section and revamped it completely and took that over. And so now I run the sniper team for my law enforcement agency. And because of everything I did with that law enforcement agency, uh, I started to realize that it wasn't just our law enforcement agency. It was all across the United States. So teams running with no equipment, horrible equipment, uh, their grandpa's rifles, stuff like that. So okay. you know, here we are. And here we are. Yeah. Um, 
so how long were you in the uh, in the army for? Uh, technically eight years, seven and a half active. Active, seven and a half active. Okay, and that was between Benning. You said Lewis, and then Texas. Uh, oh, El Paso, Fort Bliss. El Paso. Oh, yeah. Bliss. Um, it's pretty good. I actually enjoyed Bliss. So, well, I've driven through Bliss. Um, <laughs> so you said you were in 25th ID? No, no, no. Uh, 520th. Uh, oh, infantry. 520th. Okay. At second ID. Second ID. Yep. Okay. I was in Iraq with the 25th ID out of Hawaii. I was like, wait a second. Different, right. different units. You guys have so many different units. It's crazy. Um, so seven and a half years active and you got out what was uh your motivation for getting out of the army at sub 10 so uh i was really at the point of either i stay in and go career or i get out and start a new career and i think the biggest thing uh that really pushed it is the wars were dying down uh okay. afghanistan uh wasn't as rough as it could have been um it, I mean, it, war is war, no matter what time of the year. But you know, uh, when you go through the fighting season and there's barely any fighting uh, in Afghanistan, and then suddenly you're just doing KLE meetings every time you push out, and uh, your leadership is not concerned about you doing con ops and operations for your sniper team, and they're more concerned about doing KLEs. Kind of saw the writing on the world, uh, wall, and for an 11 Bravo to not have a war, it's not a fun gig. No, it's probably a lot of sweeping, <laughs> sweeping the motor pool and like polish, painting the rocks and no. busy work. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, so when I reenlisted, uh, they offered me a four day weekend as a reenlistment bonus. Uh, <laughs> that That's where we were at. We were drawing down 11 Bravo points are at 798, uh, which is pretty much maxed out. Uh, so as an E5, trying to make E6, I'm, I was pushing close to 700 points and I still wasn't making it close to a 798. Yeah, picking up. Yeah. So uh, when they start drawing down like that, I mean, it's bad. So, and yeah. fun, I never got that four day. So <laughs> I, I, I Commander still owes a four day. <laughs> so you should email him. He's probably a, probably a general now. Um, so kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, to, so you decided to transition out. Um, you said you went into the reserves, said you didn't have the best experience there with that. <laughs> did, uh, were you able to pick up six when you transitioned over to the guard? Cause I know for the air force side, like when you transition over, like that next stripe is almost sitting there waiting for you. So, so there's no infantry in the reserve. So I, I did the national guard. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Guard reserves. You're yeah. all play on the weekends. Same thing. So I, I went into there and uh, I, I talked to him. I was like, well, I'm going to try and set myself up for success and I'll reclass. And I was going to be like one of those smart people and say, you know, what? I'll reclass to an air traffic controller. I was like, that's a <laughs> solid job. So um, I leave, I get to the unit and sure enough, they put me in an S shop. So again, you're putting 11 Bravo in an S shop my combat instruments badge i got several deployments you know uh, i got a stellar ncoer i got schools out the wazoo and sure enough i get put in an s shop so i was not really that happy when i got there fair uh, enough so after that point uh i found out that my platoon sergeant had just taken the alternate pt test and he cheated on the alternate pt test which i didn't know you could do that 
Um, so it's called running when you're supposed to walk. Yes. <laughs> he so, didn't have both. He didn't have one <laughs> foot on the ground at all times. Yeah. So I had never even heard of an alternate PT test coming from active duty as either you're broke or you're not. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, that was kind of an eye opener for me. And uh, every, every time we came there for, what was it called drill? It was motor pool Monday. So you go out there, you PMCS all the vehicles. And because the guard was so small at that time, you were PMCSing other people's vehicles that they were maintaining. And uh, I was like, well, let's go do some training. Oh, we don't have time for training. We got uh, briefings. Then we have other stuff that has nothing to do with our job. So I asked him, I was like, well, when do I go to my AIT? Oh, well, probably about a year or two before you go to AIT. So I'm not going to be an air traffic controller for another year or two. Okay, great. That didn't work out for me. Uh, and then I asked, well, when do I get to start working with my counterparts uh, and doing ATC stuff and uh, on-the-job training? And they said, you're not. You're going to be in an S shop, and you're going to advise the captain – or, sorry, the commander. And I'm like, well, what am I going to advise him on? He goes, nothing. You're just going to be in the S shop. So my motivation just dropped. And my plan of trying to become an air traffic controller when I got out and have a nice paying job, you know, that was shot. So that's what kind of pushed me out of uh what do you call it uh the guard and uh the way i left the guard was i ended up calling triple canopy and i ended up signing up for a contract in, in baghdad iraq i had a whip okay. state, i had a whip state uh to go to louisiana get certified i think it was like i can't remember how long uh how long it's training i think it might have been five weeks of training or something like that you're supposed to do at whips uh, to get certified and uh after that you literally just go, and I was supposed to be at the embassy at Baghdad as a designated defensive marksman. I think it's going to pay a five fifty a day. So I was already leaving the army, and I was like, "Well, here we go. We're back into it. So whatever." Uh, during that process, I had applied to multiple uh, police agencies, and uh, the hiring process is anywhere between six months to two years. Jesus. Yeah, and. Uh, they're not very good at telling you, hey, we don't want to hire you. And they're not very good at telling you, hey, we're going to hire you eventually. Right. Okay. So uh, I got a side job uh, selling guns and another side job working school security to make ends meet. And that was a hard pill to swallow. That was a really hard pill to swallow because at one point I was getting ready to apply to McDonald's because I needed money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my wife as a teacher, she didn't make much either. So okay. uh, all my plans were going down the drain. And I realized that even though I started applying for jobs, getting out of the army, nothing was working out. Nothing was set in stone. Uh, so that was really rough for me. And that was what time, what time, uh, time frame, what year? That, that was 2014. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, times were, times were a little tough then. <laughs> you'd think uh, you wouldn't think it but compared to now yeah but, uh but it was hard to get a job and uh when you talk about veterans preference here's your veterans preference thank you for your service have a great day there's yeah. your preference um so a lot of people are like oh i'm gonna get hired above somebody because of veterans preference in my opinion nobody ever cared about it so okay uh, yeah so while you were in the guard, how you said, so if you did seven and a half active and you did eight total, so you did about six months ish in the guard. Is that when you were working at a, in a gun shop in a 
school security officer or did that come afterwards? Uh, that came with it. Okay. So, so that was, that was yeah. during your time then. And then you got, you left the guard and then you were thinking about going contractor and then you had already applied to some law enforcement agencies. Yep. Were those around the country or were those specifically uh, down in your area? It's specifically to my area. Okay. Uh, mainly because my wife, uh, she had just gotten her teaching certificate. Yeah. She was kind of stuck here, especially as yep. a, uh, I think she was somewhere like a first or second year teacher at that time. Right. I mean, so, cause just because you're a certified teacher doesn't mean that stuff transfers. Exactly. Yeah. Just like cop time doesn't transfer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you, um, the, the triple canopy gig didn't work out, I'm assuming. So it worked out, but it didn't work out. Uh, I was probably about three months out uh, from shipping out uh, okay. to Whips, Louisiana. And I got a call from a agency and they said, hey, how would you like a job? And I was like, yes, I would love a job. You know? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yes. So uh, they paid... Uh, for me to go to the police academy okay. at, the same, at the same time i double dip oh I, oh, oh I also skipped a part i was also going to college at night okay night school. Uh, using my gi bill so i was working my jobs going to college doing as much as i can to bring in money using the uh gi bill and getting my bah from that just to make it yep. easy <laughs> it worked out uh but anyways uh moving back to where we're at uh they said, how would you like a job? We'll pay you to go to the uh, academy. And I said, yes, let's do it. And I got the double dip while I was in the academy. So I got paid for my agency and the GI bill also paid me a BAH every month. Oh, nice. That's yeah. definitely beneficial. Absolutely. And then uh, from there, uh, I said, hey, Triple Canopy, uh, time out on this. Uh, I'm going to bail on this contract. And because nothing was set in stone because I had not shipped out for whips, they're like, all right, we'll go on to the next person. Yeah. So, nice. Yeah. Okay, so what was the transition from Army Infantry guy to Rookie Cop guy? What was that like? So the only (laughs) – you got to realize that nobody nobody cares that you were in the military. A lot of people go in there. Even I thought it was like, oh, people are going to care that I was in the military. You know, they're going to show me a little bit more respect. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. All right. And as soon as you get that out of your head, you can move forward and start acting like a professional out here in the civilian world. But you can draw on your military experience. The one thing I saw as a police officer be transitioning into a police officer is uh, the discipline that you're going to need, as well as some of the command bearing you're going to need, some of the stressful situations that you've been in. This is all going to translate over. No one's going to care that, you know, battle drill six or, you know, you could breach a mind wired obstacle or anything like that. Okay, but what you've learned from prior leadership skills, that's going to help you progress in your job. It's not going to help you. uh, It's not going to help you be a stud or anything like that. It's just going to help you as uh, fundamental building blocks into law enforcement. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, So. Did you see any similarities between um, being like a new boot? 11 Bravo and being a rookie on a local police force before you got to the, to the, what you're doing now. 
Like, because you obviously have to do street time before you can just mm-hmm. walk on to your yeah, guys' so SWAT teams or whatever. Yeah, so after the academy, uh, you leave the academy, and then you got a little post-academy with your agency. Like, So basically, they teach you all the general orders and SOPs for that agency. Okay. And then from there, you go into an FTO program. Uh, FTO program is... Field training officer for those that don't yes. know. Field training. So you go into field training and it's four phases, four weeks apiece. Uh, and you're basically first phase is 25%. You're gonna do 25% of the work. Uh, the FTO is gonna help you through it so you can learn. And then second phase is about 50. Third phase is 75%. And then fourth phase is pretty much all observational um, and you're graded. So, and uh, good luck because if you fail, you're either gonna get rephased or they're gonna ask you to uh, resign. Oh, well, yeah. So is it stress? And and not to mention at the same time, you're still taking tests throughout that period. Oh, I bet. So with that being said, it's, it is stressful, but it wasn't that hard. Um, As long as you study, as long as you show the motivation to learn a new skill, it's fairly easy. And as long as you don't quiver up on some of the stress, I mean, you're ahead of the pack already. There you go. So now how long have you been with your, your department? You said that was the 2014 timeframe. So you've been in law enforcement since what, eight years now? Uh, So come January 15th uh, will be eight years for me. That's crazy. Well, you're once again, halfway there. Any plans to jump (laughs) ship? No, um, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, the benefits are amazing. Okay. So, um, as far as, except for insurance, insurance sucks, but I mean, you come from the military, insurance sucks there too. I mean, fair uh, enough. Uh, but as far as uh, the benefits, the benefits for retirement are tenfold what the army can offer you. Hmm. So if I do, uh, depending on what agencies, some agencies are 20 year agencies and you're going to get 75% of your paycheck for the rest of your life. If my agency, you're going to do 25 years and you get 75% of your paycheck for the rest of your life. You do 32 years, you get hundred percent of your paycheck for the rest of the life. Um, Or you could go into a seven year drop where you get 75% of your paycheck for the rest of your life. In the next seven years, you get your pension put into a compound interest bearing account and it just adds up, adds up, adds up, adds up. And then when you get out, you get a no tax uh, pre-taxed nest egg. Oh, that's cool. So Hold on one special. second. Yep, go for it. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> I had a really weird, somebody, she was looking at me really weird. She's looking for her computer adapter and I gave her her other one back. Um, so police, depending on department, obviously, um, pretty good, pretty good retirement investment uh, opportunities. Absolutely. And they offer IRAs, four, five, sevens. So if I retire out of this and after 25 years with this agency, it should be very well off Nice. Uh, versus you do. Oh, what do you get after 20 years in the army? 50. You get 50%. Well, that's DOD wide, like whatever yeah, branch, so. like, so 20 years gets you 50% on the, well, that's on the legacy system with I'm, which I'm on the new yeah. system, that blended retirement stuff that they did is, 20 years is 40%, but they'll match up to 5% in your TSP 
after two years. So that's like how you can get your 10% back, but you have to put 5% in the whole time. And a lot of young enlisted folk don't see the value in that when you like beat your head against the wall to try and get them to do it. Yeah. If you're in the army right now, you need to be putting money in a TSP. You need to be putting money in an IRA. You need to be putting money away because you won't, you don't believe, sorry, you would not believe how fast that money adds up. Oh yeah. It's crazy. So it's crazy. uh, My Sergeant major, he actually got out with me. Um, and he's getting what after 32 years i think that's what 75 percent it's two and a half percent for every two years you stay i believe let's let's do the math i'm pulling out the calculator yeah i don't public math so well 80 percent so you do 30 32 years of your life you get 80 percent so yeah where i can do 25 here and you know i'm going to get 75 or if i do 32 i get 100 percent. yeah and i'll tell you this it's more than 89 pay so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i bet <laughs> so uh but my sergeant major he got out and now he works for uh fwc which is the florida wildlife control yep. or the game commission or whatever it is and he's living life he drives on a boat all day or he can go on a four-wheeler he can go in his pickup truck He's living his best life and he's living down uh, in South Florida. And yeah. uh, he, tra- like I said, he transitioned after 32 years and he said that was the best uh, thing he ever chose. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So what you being in, like, you're not a beat cop. You're on the SWAT team. You're the director of the, the sniper section there, your, your department. What is the process so somebody says, okay, I don't want to do the military, but I still want to serve my community. I want to be a cop. You, what is that path in to being a cop? Cause you know how it is for the, the military. You get in, you do your first few years, and then you have the opportunity to change your MOS to go, you know, be EOD or go be an air, com, uh, air combat commando or go, do SF or Ranger or do any of that stuff. You can get those kind of shred outs. What is that like inside of a police department or a police agency? So uh, a little fun fact. Uh, so I've, uh, I've been an undercover detective. Uh, I spent five years as an undercover and uh, sorry, uh, four and a half years as an undercover. And then I did uh, what do you call it? Uh, patrol first. And then did the undercover work, left that for a bit. And now I'm a field training officer. Uh, but I, I serve on a part-time SWAT team. Okay. Uh, so the, the question is, uh, you got to ask yourself, what is your overall goal? So you're an EOD brat, right? Yep. So my agency doesn't have EOD, but we have EOD dogs. Okay. Uh, if we go to our neighboring agency, we have guys who are EOD cops. That's all they do is EOD stuff. They're a full-time EOD team. Yep. No. Uh, so it varies from agency to agency. You have to do your due diligence and say, hey, what do I want to accomplish? What's my overall goal? And what realistically do I have to offer to make sure that I can make that uh, goal? So okay. uh, for me, when I chose this agency, I chose it because I needed a job. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, I applied to multiple agencies. Uh, and, and these guys called you back. <laughs> and these guys called me back. And uh, <laughs> 
I will say this. Uh, I got lucky with this agency. Uh, so coming out of the army and you're going to start from the bottom. Uh, that's where that ego you have to leave at the front door. Oh, I'm big, bad, 11 Bravo, 18 Delta, you know, CAG, whatever. Leave it at the door, man. Nobody cares. Okay. You're going to be working with other Green Berets. You're going to be other working with other uh, 11 Bravos. You're going to be working with PSYOPs. You're going to be working with truck drivers. And guess what? Nobody cares what you did. Right. So leave the ego at the front of the door. You are starting from the bottom. Okay. Because you're not the only veteran that's applied to this company, especially right. during, uh, especially down the two, 2014 timeframe where points are maxed out and people are leaving. Yeah. Um, so leave the I mean, if you think about it, that's about to happen all over again. Yeah. So anytime there's a drawdown, good luck. Well, not uh, even that, but we're hitting the peak of the GWAP baby. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean 9-11 was 21, 22 years ago now. I'm feeling old now. <laughs> right? So if you think about it, like I joined in 03. It's about to be 2023. So I'm about to hit 20 years. So like the people that came in right before me are either staying in, have either gotten out or staying in or they're going to retire. Like we're going to hit a drawdown and a plus up, like, cause everybody's like, well, I'm going to stay for this ride to 20. Like I got three friends that I was all at my first duty station with that have already dropped their paperwork. Yeah. I'm like, dang, time, time flies. Yep. Or you got Joe's, you're already making E7. Oh, God. tell me about it, brother. <laughs> tell me about it. So, uh, but just, uh, just getting out of that army uh, mindset and just realizing you started from the bottom, draw on your past experiences, but know this, nobody owes you jack. Okay. Okay. Nothing. Nobody owes you anything. You got a job now prove that you're worth uh, the position they gave you. So start from uh, the bottom, be as proactive, be as smart as you can be. Excuse me. <clears throat> Hell yeah. <laughs> so uh, what I would recommend is if you're getting into law enforcement, start studying case law, start finding the people who do really good on the streets and start learning from them, draw from them, find mentors. Okay. Be humble and have some humility. You're going to screw up a lot. All right. You're going to arrest a guy and realize, oh, crap, I forgot one of these most basic things. And now my case is dead in the water. Right. Or, hey, now I have to unarrest him. Cuffs come off. Hey, sorry about that. I screwed up this investigation. Have a great day. <laughs> right. So um, you're going to have you're going to have that some days. And once you uh, start learning that and getting experience and getting a good street reputation, uh, you're going to find yourselves in positions of high stress. You're going to get into a fight out here. All right. Well, depending on your agency, there's some agencies where, you know, your biggest concern is somebody lost a dog. Uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> uh, but if you go to a high working agency, you might be chasing somebody on foot every other day. You might be in a pursuit uh, once a month, who knows? Uh, but you're going to get a street reputation from that. Then you now need, now you're going to uh, get past your probationary period, which is about a year. And then they're going to say, Hey, SWAT tryouts are coming. Guess what? If you weren't PTing before and you're still eating four pizzas a week, uh, like you were in the army, but not going to the gym, it's going to show. And guess what? 
there's people at that agency who tried out for SWAT five times in a row and still haven't got it, but they're putting in the work still. Right. So that's where you need to shine again. So uh, the getting out and being a lazy bum, I mean, you got to figure it out. So it doesn't stop once you leave. So that's where you coming back from the military is, hey, I'm disciplined. I study my craft and I uh, become an expert in it and I'm uh, physically fit and mission capable. Okay. Everything's competitive in the police world. Um, so yeah, if you want the spot, you got to earn it. But again, remember, nobody cares that you were in the army. Okay. So you said something interesting there, like some agencies, you know, their most hot, hot button call could be somebody lost a dog or you could be getting in a chase or going hands-on with somebody. What, what is the ops tempo in a South Florida police unit like for you guys? I mean, you got, you said you're on the part-time SWAT team. So like you're, you're an FTO right now, like you said, but you're on part-time SWAT. So like how often are you guys getting spun up to go do something? All right. So uh, we get spun up for generally uh, two reasons. One, there's a call up uh, for a barricaded subject um, or some type of uh, very dangerous situation involving, hey, SWAT, you need to deal with this. Or B, uh, you're called up for a high risk search warrant. In okay. uh, my first, let's say, five years with the police department, it was just going. Uh, we were probably doing a high risk search warrant probably once or twice a month. Uh, after uh the covid uh the beginning of covid and the uh civil unrest throughout the uh country and all that good stuff that dropped it drastically really uh, very uh and we're not the only agency to experience that agencies across the nation have uh for lack of better terms uh, been neutered as far as how much they're doing sur- uh, high risk search warrants is that is that based on um agency policy or crime going down uh definitely going to be policy okay so uh in our high uh i want to say it was last year we had one of our highest years of uh homicides uh and shootings okay uh, in our uh city and we only did maybe three search warrants that year wow yeah (laughs) so what you're saying is come strapped (laughs) yeah so (laughs) Um, but like I said, the crime is not, uh, a good picture of how many search warrants, search warrants we're doing. Okay. Uh, It's what the agency is going to allow you to do. Uh, I mean, I mean, were you guys doing a lot of drug searches before? I mean, if Florida is now legalized marijuana and you guys were doing a crap ton of marijuana hits, like if it's legal now, like, would that be a reason why the, the hits would go down or the searches? Well, so the SWAT team is only used when it's a high-risk warrant. So okay. high-risk high risk meaning uh, not because this guy has a gun, but he's ha- he has a gun and he's pointed at somebody, threatened somebody's life before. He shot a person before. He's uh, killed somebody and he's uh, he did his jail time and now he's out just slinging dope again. Uh, okay. Uh, another History uh, of violence, things like exactly. that. Exactly. Uh, another, another reason we would use the SWAT team is if the uh, house is barricaded. So okay. say he's got several wood uh, planks behind that door. He's got a steel door with another welded door back with a time safe. Who knows? Uh, that's our job. 
uh, to get in that house. That would be another reason that they would use this for a high-risk search warrant. Okay. So, but as far as call-ups, um, they come in waves. Uh, okay. So, uh, it's like the fighting season. It's exactly like that. I, I kid you not. Uh, I think last year we had six or seven call-ups all within a three-month time span, and we had none for the rest of the year. Wow. Uh, uh, during that call-up, we had a serial killer. Um, at that time, he had, uh, I think he killed one or two people during a drug rip, hit at his parents' house, killed his mother, killed, I'm oh, sorry, no, not his mother, his grandmother, killed his uncle, uh, and killed his aunt, took a baby hostage, and shot his mom, and the mom got away. <laughs> so Now, does that just count as a murder spree, or is it actually a serial killer? Like... I mean, to me, that's technically a serial killer. Okay, two fair separate, enough. Two separate incidents. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, because you think serial killer, you're thinking Jeffrey Dahmer, not just a yeah. dude that's killed a bunch of people. According to the FBI, that's also technically a mass shooting because there's more than three people shot. So, I mean, yeah, so <laughs> true. Yeah. But the CDC did take off self-defense shootings from their firearm death statistics. So, yeah, the FIPPERS. Yeah. Uh, uh, or sorry, fibbers. Uh, but the other thing would be is like, so this year, I think we've only had uh, two or three uh, call-ups. Uh, and again, uh, they're all recent. Right. Uh, so, and that's just, that's just your department. That's and like my department. But like, we're not obviously going to say your department, but like we, like, we don't know how big of a general area your your department covers because i mean let's take where i'm up where i'm at right like mm-hmm. you've got the valparaiso police department valparaiso is maybe like five square miles versus yep. fort walton beach which is like 50 square miles per se like as an example so if you guys are val p and you're getting three a year three and five square miles is is yeah, a lot right hard. so yeah. I mean, given however big your response area is, air quotes, like it's probably probably (laughs) going to determine how many call outs you guys are getting. So that'll do it. And also the density of the crime. Um, And it's not necessarily just high crime areas. Uh, uh, We had one the other day. uh, The person lived in a non high crime area and he ended up breaking some windows in the, uh, what do you call it, his own residence, taking his son uh, hostage, uh, driving around the city uh, recklessly, and then crashing under a bridge, then putting scissors up to the kid's neck and then almost choking the kid out. So, yeah. Man, what are people thinking these days? (laughs) Meth meth is a hell of a drug. Okay, meth is is a hell of a drug. Okay, so you being the sniper section leader for the SWAT team like mm-hmm. you guys are getting called up that SWAT in general getting called up like just be, because SWAT's getting called up you guys aren't sure if you're going to be employed um in that situation or not so you guys are obviously spinning up as well how many times are you guys um implemented into into stuff like that so um, with our team before, uh, it would be like we would allow the SWAT commander to say, hey, we don't you know we're not going to use snipers yet or anything like that. And that's the way it uh, appeared. And I think it, what happened was is I think the SWAT commander at the time had lost his confidence in the sniper team. Uh, but 
uh, we can get more to that. That came down to equipment and training. But now when I show up, uh, we basically assess the situation and we say, hey, let's get a sniper going. If the guy is inside and we have a foothold inside and uh, we're not going to let that foothold go at any time, I mean, there's no real reason for a sniper. Or, right. Or let's say he's – sorry. A dog. <laughs> That's right. Your cat's been hanging out with us this whole time. Oh, yeah. Both of them are over here. Uh, it's okay, Maggie. So, anyways, uh, what will happen is we'll assess the situation and then we'll push out as needed. Okay. Uh, if let's say for instance uh well i'll just go for the guy in the pickup truck who crashed it uh we set up off of an interstate and uh we were probably about 200 and i want to say it's 230 or 270 yards away from taking a shot just because of the terrain right and we were were the ones who had want some of the best eyes looking into the vehicle seeing what the uh what the suspect was doing uh, before we got a robot actually in and watching uh, the suspect versus we had a call up uh, a couple of weeks ago where the guy was up in an attic and what had happened is they had just done a couple of armed burglaries and they established a foothold in the house where there was no need for us. to. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason for a high caliber long gun in a four foot, four foot space. Exactly. And my guys specialize uh, in we're taking more than likely we will be taking either either a hostage shot or a snapshot from him coming out the door and shooting at people. Okay. Uh, And those ranges, the average national range for a shot is about 75 yards. Right. It's within 100. Yeah, for sure. Yes, absolutely. But like, do you happen to know what the the average shots taken in a year by by law enforcement uh dms is in a, in a given year uh i do not know this year um and there is the uh american sniper association and okay. every year they put out a book called the sniper utilization report okay and what that is is any time there is a sniper situation what they will do will go and reach out to that sniper and say, hey, how far were you? We you want to drop off? Where Check you your connection a little bit. You're breaking up a little bit. Hold on. Hear me now? Yeah, say something again. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, you're just a little scratchy. Okay. Well, there you go. Perfect. Perfect? Yep. Awesome. So um, what? Will, where did I leave off at? Uh, uh, they'll go and ask them what equipment they were using yes. and things like that. So they'll go on, they'll ask them what equipment they were using, how far were they, what round they were using, what gun they were using, anything and everything any gun guru will want to know. And you can still yourself buy that. If you go to the American Sniper Association, they have a utilization report uh, published every year. Okay, awesome. I believe uh, the guys over at CR2, I know, I think they talked about it uh, a while ago. And I know you're familiar with Brian Same. Um, He harps on uh he harps on that one as well Uh, okay yeah interesting um yeah i just like i mean real life isn't like the movies which we're going to talk about but like you get um i think you get a false sense of what these special teams are actually doing which 
I mean, it's good that you're not using actual SOPs or like actual doctrine, but like make it somewhat realistic. Yes. <laughs> so we don't have to sit there and like nitpick everything you do. But oh, yeah. um, so with that, your number one favorite movie based around uh long range long range in- engagements so like the uh. original sniper uh, shooter, <laughs> the sniper scene in the hurt locker um what uh what's that one glimmer man, glimmer man where he shoots the dude from like forever away on the high speed train and he just holds his kestrel up like this and takes his win reading will smith that was that was a great scene what what about wanted Ooh, right. wanted that's a good one yeah d d d can self deconstructing bullets yeah love it so oh, so for for those that don't know like it's extremely hard for somebody in a profession to watch a movie about their profession so like if you're a nurse right and you're watching er you understand all of the lingo that they're saying when they're like, give me two milligrams of blah, blah, push stat. Give me the chest spreader. Like you understand all that. And you know, you're sitting there like you wouldn't do that. That nurse wouldn't respond that way. They'd never hand them that scalpel like that. Blah, blah, blah. Former military dudes do the exact same thing to every TV show and movie. So it's funny to ask somebody that was both an active duty long range guy and is now a cop doing the long range game, what his favorite, favorite sniper movie is. I, I honestly don't know. Um, I kind of cringe half the time now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, screw it. It's a good movie. Um, oh man. I will say this. Some of the movies recently have good parts. And I'm like, that's legit okay and then then they just go on and say all right we're going into the good idea fairy and fantasy land so let's see what happens yeah um but oh man uh i can't even think of off the top of my head okay Uh, so you know what i i can i can go back to it uh it was a hbo series i can't remember it off the top of my head it was about a marine corps unit during the invasion Generation uh, Kill. Generation Kill. That was probably one of my favorite ones. It's not a movie, but it's it was a TV show, and I was like, "It's a seven-hour movie." Yes, it, I, I, I saw a TikTok today where a guy walks into the room and he's like, "Hey, you want to go watch a ten-hour movie?" Be like, "No, I don't want to watch a ten-hour movie." They're like, "Oh no, they broke it up into ten one-hour segments." They're like, "You mean a series?" He's like, "You both know we're going to sit on that couch and watch all ten episodes, so it's yes. a ten-hour movie." And he's like, "Yeah, fair enough." So Generation Kills seven parts. It's a seven-hour yes. movie. Yes, I will say that's probably my favorite. Right? They, I, okay. The advisor was they did good. I'm not a marine, so I don't know about the marine aspects. But hey, the snipers acting as uh, guys in a line team—that happens. Uh, the fact that they have the two-man teams ready to go and it's all packed away, and then they have to bring it out. Yep, that happens. Okay. Um, so, um, and I just love the the absolute horrible banter that uh went around which is you know, oh yeah for sure that, i mean whoever did that bravo yeah so, 
Um, yeah, I the first time I watched that was on Netflix DVDs. Yeah, yeah, that's not to, not to one up you, not to one up you, bootleg Iraq. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair, fair enough. That I mean, granted, Netflix DVDs was about the same thing. Yeah. Um, and for the people listening. Netflix actually used to mail you a DVD. You'd watch it. You'd put it in the return label and then send it back. They'd scan it in and then send you your next movie on the queue. Um, showing my age here. Okay, so if that's your favorite, air quotes, um, military movie, what what are the things that do make you cringe in TV series, movies, things like that when it comes to... Uh, law enforcement or military sniping so as far as military sniping goes uh I, the two biggest things i would say are the myths that they start talking about like uh shooting a can of meat and potatoes first round shot uh at a mile and saying a yep, mile? that's gonna happen yeah Denny uh, Moore. yeah yeah <laughs> getting uh getting the the perfect wind call every time yeah uh, so um, the one shot, one kill moniker that's at uh, the sniper schoolhouse, it is a awesome hoorah moto thing to do. The truth is, is 90% of the time, it's going to be a second or third round hit. Yeah. Uh, and our engagements are generally going to be between 400 and maybe 600 yards, uh, depending on your theater. Um, and any further, you're probably going to be doing call for, uh, uh, call for air support, uh, yeah. for fire or something like that or sending a qrf team up there um so I, I tell people i was like you know what's uh you know what weapon system did you use the most in country i said this hand mic yeah <laughs> so <laughs> that thing's deadly <laughs> um, um but as that and it would be the stalking scene where he's not carrying jack sh- jack nothing uh it's i I can tell you, I did a I did a four day mission up in the sides of uh, up up in the mountains of Kandahar, uh, and we were watching this route, and we're like, hey, we're gonna be out here for three days, uh, and you're gonna do a couple false infills at, uh, before you go in with the route clearance team, and we were gonna wear, wear our ghillie suits even though it was at night or whatnot, but we're like, well, all right, we got everything we need. I was like, how much, how much water do we got? All right, we got a five-gallon uh, five jerry can that we're bringing with us. All right, great. How are we going to carry it? Well, it's going to be in a ruck. Cool. How are we going to keep it from swishing? Well, we got with the, the cooks, and we froze it. All right, so it would be nice and cold, okay, but it wouldn't swish around. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, but so water, the endless amounts of batteries. You need your ASIP batteries. You need the ASIP batteries for your LRTV. You need your batteries for your night vision. You need the batteries for your thermals. Uh, you need ammunition. You need to claim more for your exfil. Uh, I mean, oh god, there's there is nothing cool or sexy about being a sniper except for like six seconds. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> so when you see the movies and they're like infilling and he's got a ghillie suit and a gun, I'm like, where's all his other stuff? Where, where's everything else at, man? <laughs> It's like no 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 no. So either either you're gonna find a place and then come back and move and make a whole bunch of unnecessary movement, or you're gonna be skull dragging with a cord going between your legs and just squeezing the hell out of your uh, innards. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So 
let's talk about the gear and equipment because you kind of brought that up. Um, you said that a lot of agencies are using older equipment and outdated, either outdated technology, older equipment, or just don't have equipment. Um, what was it like when you got to your, your agency? So I was really happy to take it over and I was really excited to see like what kind of experience we, uh, we have with the sniper team. And I, uh, they had just got brand new sniper rifles. Like, yeah, we just got away from our Remington 700s. And then I was looking at the Remington 700s and they had five different, uh, they had six people on the team and had six different rifles. Okay. All with, all with different variations of contours of barrels, different scopes, uh, MOA uh, turrets, uh, mill reticles, uh, or turrets that didn't even spin. Uh, no illuminated reticles. Only two guns had mounting platforms for night vision. Uh, no suppressors, but even suppressors you don't really need. Uh, they're just nice. They, they are nice. God, and you guys don't have to wait. <laughs> also, yes. Uh, which is another fun thing uh, working with KG Made right now. Uh, but anyways, uh, there was no tripods. Uh, there was no bags except for like uh, ba- uh, socks filled with beach sand. Right. Um, the ammunition they were using was hunting ammunition uh, that somebody pawned off. They said, hey, this is a uh, blended me- metal technology round and it's going to do great inside this dude's body. And I'm like, yeah, that absolutely is. But problem is it's holding uh, one and three quarter minute group. Uh, and during training, it's holding a two and a half minute group. Yeah. Uh, and then, so they got SIG 716s, uh, the DMRs. Okay. And are you sponsored by SIG or anything like that? No. I'm sorry, SIG. That was the horrible rifle. Um, and that rifle was, it was a little bit better as far as accuracy goes, but it was round temperamental. So after uh, you, we had to search through six or seven different variations of rounds that, that also met our uh, ballistic standards and then when we finally found that round we found out after 10 rounds the groups would go from a minute and a half to two and three quarter inch groups the gun got too hot the gun got too hot so training got cut down short or hey we'd shoot uh just a little bit and then all right we're gonna wait about an hour for the guns to cool down and then we'll run another fun drill yeah so uh, so it was really easy to lose your guys's attention. The fact that the groups were so large, um, the inconsistency and the liability was out the roof. Yeah. Uh, some of the tripods that the guys did have uh, were shooting sticks, which, yeah, I get it. Quick snapshots, great. But uh, SWAT doesn't stand for special weapons and tactics. It stands for sit, wait, and talk. Yeah. So the average call-up lasts anywhere between 8 to 15 hours. Yeah. So, uh, and if you're going to be on some shooting sticks in a standing position with your back crouched up and all that, and you're scanning, you're full of it. You're full of it. Yeah. So, um, and I started asking guys, I was like, how often have you had a prone position? He goes, oh, I've only had it like once. So I was through this window and I used a rocking chair as my set uh, platform. And I was like, man, that's really cool, but there's better options. Yeah. So, um, and that's where I started implementing bringing stuff i brought from precision rifle shooting uh within the army and the prs and saying hey there is a better more comfortable and more mission sustainable way to make this happen okay 
Um, but yeah, that was the current state of affairs it was in when I got there. What are you, what is the rifle platform you guys are using now? Right now we are using a GA Precision FBI HRT rifle. Okay. Uh, let me guess, that is holding better than a minute and a half. Uh, they guarantee three-eighths of a minute. And I'm like, I, I, as, long as, it, as long as it holds one minute of angle, I'm happy. Yeah. Right. One minute of angle, great. So, but uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, GA Precision delivered. So, yeah, for sure. And, they did, and I think they said, hey, it's going to be about six months out. And they did it in three months, which was awesome. Oh, heck so, yeah. Yeah. So like part of that process was getting everything uniform throughout your specific department between firearms, ammo, yes. um, scopes and everything like that. And to bring us into the match that we're going to talk about, that's kind of the, the point of the match that in which you're so passionate about it is because it's basically giving back to your fellow law enforcement guys, right? Absolutely. So let's, let's get into that. Let's talk about, let's talk about the match that's coming up. So you are the match director for it. Yep. I went to the match last year, had a blast. Kind of broke my gun, still had a blast. Um, but it's a night shoot, right? So go ahead and give us the rundown on it. All right. Uh, so I got this idea from, I, I, I forget the uh, match director's name. I think it was Jason Watts or Justin Watts uh, who runs the Silent Night. If I screwed up your name, I apologize. Um, and I called him and started talking to him about the Silent Night and how he did it. And, he was using uh, flagpole lights uh, to illuminate the targets. Okay. And he gave me the rundown of uh, basically how to do it from target hit indicators to what you're going to need to, uh, you know, keep the lights on, or what kind of batteries, what, how much light do you need, uh, and, you know, target maintenance, stuff like that. And even don't put the, tar uh, the lights up on the target too close because the spalling, you know. Spalling is going to break the lights. Break the lights. So, yeah. Uh, so I got, I took as many notes as I could from him, uh, and I greatly appreciate it. And we started, we did our first one at, God, I don't even know what it was called back then. Now it's already changed its names about a hundred times. Uh, Altair, uh, Tradecraft, Gator, whatever it is now. Oh, um, way down there. Uh, yeah, uh, the ranch. Uh, the, the ranch. The ranch. Yes. Uh, so we held our first one there and it, it was awesome. It was a great success. I was stressing out the entire time. Um, like as I, most match directors do when they put on a match. <laughs> in fact, every time it gets close to it, I'm stressing out. Uh, this one's pretty well planned this year, I believe. And I'm stressing out about it still. Um, but the, uh, the match went off without a hitch. Um, and that year we were able to buy uh, six complete tripod uh, kits, uh, including uh, vices from hog saddle uh then we bought infrared lights as well range finders um and that was for uh my agency and another agency okay um and the biggest things that killed me was i, I didn't have a lot of people i think we only had 38 38 or 40 shooters that year okay um and then the overhead from uh the match yeah but I've been trying each year and I tell everybody, he's like, listen, I don't keep a cent of this match. Right. right? That, that, any bit of money I get, 
it goes into equipping these guys. Because you're not a full-time match director. You're not running full-time matches or anything. You don't have your own range. You're not running matches monthly or anything else like that. You kind of find a venue that's having matches and then just go talk to that match director, right? Uh, I mean, I uh, I don't want your money. I, uh, I'm going to say I, I want your money to buy the stuff for the guys, but I don't want your money uh, to better myself or anything like that. I mean, I got a job. I can I can figure it out. Right. And my job is to make sure that these teams, that their agencies won't buy equipment for their snipers because it's either it's between that limit of too expensive and not needed. Uh, right in their eyes or hey these guys have to go on and purchase their own and then when they leave the team now the team doesn't have one right my job is to buy equipment that stays with the team right um and shooting off of a tripod in the law enforcement world is huge is huge right 90 percent of our shots taken are always going to be from a tripod so um and that's just because most of our cults are going to be in urban terrain. They're not going to be out in the woods in some desolate land and some terrorist is taking over. Right. So you're going to be shooting from a tripod. And even when I was in the army, guess what? We're shooting mainly from a tripod. Yeah. So, like uh, you, it's, it's hard to shoot up into a window in a suspect's <laughs> house when you're prone on the ground, you need to be elevated. Exactly. And getting the right equipment. And uh, that is, to increase the safety of not just other officers, but the civilians. If you're a hostage and the sniper is shooting off of hunting shooting sticks, okay, and you have approximately, just let's say a 50% 50 exposure, all right, and he's wobbling like this and the shot's at 50 yards, do you feel safe? (laughs) No. Let's let's throw in the other other factor that we had in and before is his gun shoots a one and three quarter minute group. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I'm trying to get. Away this from. isn't speed. We don't shoot the hostage. <laughs> that's a good movie. Um, so this this is where I've I've started to not only just get teams better equipment. I'm trying to revamp training for the entire Florida area so I can help move out there. There's still companies out there teaching something so old, so uh, archaic, uh, archaic that it's it's an absolute liability to be teaching it still. Okay. Um, yes, the average shot for a sniper in law enforcement is going to be 75 yards. My guys train out to 800 yards. Right. right. They, they qualify out to 600 yards. And why do they do that? Because when you get more confident out there, that 50-yard shot becomes a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. So I try to build confidence in my guys. And not to mention, our last call up we had, the uh, the engagement was going to be between 230 and 270, and it was going to be a hostage shot. Yeah. So um, you got to really ask yourself, it was like, what do you feel capable of? Um, I spent a week up at Hat Creek uh, just the other day, and I was talking with Corey, uh, who's uh, – uh, a special, a very special person within the military community. Let's keep it that, that way. Yeah. Um, and he's telling me, what are your capabilities? And I'm like, oh, I think we can do this, this, this. He goes, no, what are your capabilities at any moment, any time? And that got me really thinking is, is I don't know my capabilities. So right. he goes, for us at 200, uh, sorry, at, I think he said 300 yards. I know I can hit anything that's six inches or bigger in any wind, any rain any position 
okay? Six in, uh, sorry, yeah, I think it's like six or eight inches. All right, I was like- Yeah, two MOA. Yeah, that's, that's really big. He goes, yeah, but that's any time, any wind, any range. So what are your capabilities? It's like, I don't know. Now I got to figure that yeah, out. Yeah, now I got to figure it out. Right? <laughs> so, and it doesn't matter what me as a person, my capabilities are. It's what is my team's capabilities? And some of that's going to come down to the proper equipment, whether it be tripods, the firearm, the bullet, or the scope, anything like that. And that's what I'm trying to get law enforcement into. Because there is no standardized sniper school for law, uh, for snipers. So, for law enforcement snipers for, for law enforcement snipers yeah so, each branch no, kind of each branch of military kind of has their own their own gig but it's, it's standardized like, yeah it's a standard course per each service but the the law enforcement doesn't have that correct okay so you got a 40-hour course that you said hey I, you know i'm i'm somewhat of a sniper trained person right there i put on i trained it all right there's your blessing for the state wow okay. so if we start standardizing our equipment or at least having minimum standards for our equipment, minimum standards for our weapons, uh, I believe that'll increase our, our look as professionals as well as increase the uh, ability of these teams and reduce liability as much as we can. Okay. So. Yeah, because that's something that you guys as law enforcement have to deal with a lot more than on the military side is – the liability aspect yes there's still liability in the in the military like if you shoot the wrong person but that's called the fog of war and as we've seen with the withdrawal of afghanistan nobody really gets held accountable at the higher levels correct you guys pull the old speed shoot the hostage you guys are going to get burned at the stake and that's cool. just the that's just the climate that we live in politically oh absolutely i'm going to go to jail yeah, so, and uh, it's that's not even politically. I mean, as as shooters in the military and as shooters in the PRS, you know, we say to each other, "We're responsible for every round we send down range, right?" Right. It's even more so when we're doing it to protect the citizens of our country. So, right. And I take that very seriously, and that's why I push my guys on the sniper teams to take it more seriously, because. When nobody nobody cares if you shoot a bad guy in the face, nobody's ever going to talk about that again after a month. Okay? Right. But when you shoot somebody who wasn't supposed to be shot, you will live on forever in this horrible thing. And guess what? You're going to be you're going to be the staple and poster boy for every sniper team out there in America. Yeah. Right. The police shot another civilian again, and guess what? It was a sniper. Right? Yeah. So, and guess what? The funding's going to get cut the training is going to get cut and then pretty soon the snipers will get cut. So when the next time a, uh, a hostage situation happens, guess what? It's going to be a guy with a pistol or ho hopefully an AR or something uh, taking that shot. And hopefully it's at a close distance and the guys and the hostage isn't moving. Yeah. So, so with this match, your the, the profi proceeds that are raised, obviously like there is overhead. You got to rent the range. You got to, you know, um, the lights, the, uh, the lights, the batteries, the power, yeah. all that other fun jazz to make this match happen. You got to pay for it. the money that's um, on the plus side. After that, you're going to a department, figuring out what they need and then purchasing it for them and then issuing it to 
the department team, not the individual. So that way, if they do transfer somewhere else, then it stays with the department. Correct. And I don't do it just, I don't go to the department. It's like, Hey chief, thanks. I go to their sniper team, team, uh, team leader directly. I'm like, listen, this, thing yeah. all right. There, this isn't going to an individual. This isn't going to the law enforcement agency to put on their books or anything like this. This is going to the team. Nobody but the team gets this. So gotcha. I, I don't care what the SWAT commander says. This is for the sniper team. Don't go put some loudspeaker on this tripod. Right. Okay? Because, you know, the PA, PIO wants it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so when, when, is, when is this match? Let's uh, let's get the people the details. What what can they expect? What is the course of fire going to be like? Where is it at? Do awesome. equipment they need? Do they need an illuminated reticle? Like let's let's give them the rundown. All right. So we're gonna be February 18th at JTAC Ranch. It's gonna be in Mulberry, Florida. All right. Uh it's gonna be at the first round down range will be at sunset. And that's I believe that's gonna be somewhere around six or seven o'clock. Uh with that. Uh, the course of fire is going to be like a normal PRS match. However, you cannot use white light. You can use red, blue, or green uh, because those are hunter lights. And I want you to be able to not trip over the stage. Yep. If you don't want to use a headlamp, that's fine. You can use glow sticks to put on your turrets or on your rifle, whatever it may be. Um, so for instance, for a stage, it might be you're going to shoot from three different rocks and you're going to shoot two different targets at various ranges, just like a normal PRS match. Um, I'm doing my best to bring in some very hard, uh, stages and some very fun stages. Uh, every year I have the standing, kneeling, prone, seated that everybody loves. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because this is a match for law enforcement and that is a staple of, uh, fundamental shooting, uh, that everybody forgets about. And then everybody remembers how much they suck at it when they have a 30 pound, uh, PRS rifle. So uh so it's <laughs> that's so it's me kind of waving raising it, my hand it's kind of funny to see people with a 30 pound rifle doing their bear stance because yes I, I usually restrict the equipment um however i am going to allow equipment on that stage but there will be some limitations on that equipment um you do not need an illuminated reticle and the reason i say that is because had it not been for a mulligan uh a a uh, good friend of mine, uh, he would have won the match. Okay. Uh, instead, he got second place, and another friend of mine, Mr. Kendall Simpson, uh, took the win. Okay. He used his mulligan. <laughs> there you go. Um, so you said February 18th, rounds down range at sunset. How many rounds are they going to need? Uh, you're looking at about 100 rounds. Okay. Uh, and I would probably bring another uh, 10 rounds for a side shoot. Uh, okay. If you want to do the side shoot, it's going to be $20. Um, and we're going to have a nice little prize for that one. Uh, we have several sponsors uh, for this match who helped me try to bring in shooters. Okay. Uh, we're, we're the only one-day match that is a non-championship match that is giving away a prize table. Okay. Uh, I think right now we're probably sitting somewhere around uh, eight or $9,000 worth of gear on the prize table. Sweet. Uh, Maybe even more. Vortex sent a lot of stuff. I haven't even posted a picture of some of the stuff they've sent me. Gangster. Uh, Area 419, KG made suppressors. Uh, what do you call it? I think uh, Shelby, uh, I forget his name. I know he just cashed in his uh, suppressor certificate. Uh, Shelby Case. Shelby Case a couple of months ago. Uh, 
That's but, my boy uh, right there. <laughs> I uh, I lost. That was his. So we shot that match last year together when it was at Arena, and that was the first time he ever got hardware. And I was doing very well until the bolt stop broke on my gun and I kept smacking myself in the face with uh, my bolt every time I went to rack it and I had three stages left and he didn't beat me by much. And I was so mad. <laughs> uh, we are getting custom made trophies again. It will not be a state this year. Uh, last year, I kind of screwed the pooch on the design and we went back to the Georgia state. Uh, mm -hmm. The first year we did it was the Florida state. Uh, this year it will look like uh, the sundown shootout logo. Okay. Uh, so those are being provided free of charge from uh, MGM targets. Oh, nice. Uh, Travis Gibson has been a huge supporter of this match, and I can't thank him enough. Uh, in fact, I've known him ever since I was in the Army. Uh, I was part of the Ready First Marksmanship Unit, uh, and we were training to go to Australia to go shoot against the Aussies. And uh, he came down there and helped us uh, get some competitive pistol shooting training in. Nice. And uh, the government shut down because of teen pregnancy and we didn't get to go. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that story ended horribly. So uh, about 100 rounds, 10 rounds for a side stage. How many times can you run the side stage? Uh, you can only run it once. Okay, one run on the side stage. Um, obviously some rounds to, to zero and some rounds to, to check your speed and stuff like that. So maybe 120, 125 rounds. Uh, 10 stages, 10 stages. Okay. 10 stages in the dark, uh, no white light on the line, glow sticks, red, red, blue, or green light. Um, some prizes on the prize table, PRS points. It is PRS points. Okay. Uh, so that's why we had to get rid of the mulligan and now we have a side shoot. Right. Uh, I also had to get rid of the KYL rack. Um, the true KYL rack, the true KYL rack. Uh, I was ready to, I was really happy to break some hearts with that. But the truth is, it's not about what I want. It's about uh, raising money for these teams. So, yep. and you're going to have more people show up if it's PRS points. Exactly. So, uh, what do you call it? You don't need night vision. You don't need thermals. Uh, I think the guys at CR2, uh, they can definitely tell you that you don't need all that. Yeah. Cause um, they showed up last year with it <laughs> and they were like, uh, why are all these glow sticks on the line? Because yep. <laughs> we don't have nine grand worth of night vision. In fact, <laughs> tomorrow night, I'm actually going to a night shoot here. Um, and uh, I'm going to run the the, uh, the blackout division. So I borrowed my 31s from work and a PEC 15, and I'm going to go play in the dark. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one, that's one perk of being where I'm at now is – we actually have gear and they actually want you to go train with it. Surprising. Absolutely. So, uh, but as far as all that goes, um, you do not need to be suppressed either. Okay. Uh, unlike most night matches that I've seen, there used to be one on the East coast and I guess it disappeared all of a sudden. And now there is a, uh, there's, I think there's still silent night, uh, on the West coast, but that is, you're required to have a suppressor. You're not required to have a suppressor for this. Yeah, so. this one is kind of out in the sticks, so yeah. that's nice. Um, what's so seeing as how it's going to be at night? What is your given, um, your given range, like your average range and your average target size? That way, uh, somebody's like, "Oh man, I'm not very good in the day. I don't want to show up at night and get completely 
broken half. Like, so I'm very generous with the targets, and the reason I am is because you can't really see wind out there. Uh, occasionally, you can. Uh, yeah. It's. I think a lot of people were really surprised when they were seeing Mirage at night uh, when they saw some of the targets lit lit up, and then I was like, "That's something you just don't get to see every now and then." Yeah, nobody's really laying down at night with their <laughs> with their bolt gun being able to see Mirage. Like, yeah. And if you are, please tell me where I can do that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no shit. Uh, but with that, uh, what I would definitely say is uh, the targets are going to be very generous. They'll probably be about two MOA targets uh, generally. Uh, we will not go out to 800. Um, and the reason being is because at that point, we're not going to really see much splash out there or anything like right. that. The match is heavily positional. Right. Uh, and some of them might just be one position. Some might require you to move. Uh, and uh, some of them you might have to game. But here's the thing about the gaming is I'm going to do my best to write my rules down perfectly and said, I always do a walkthrough on the match. So that way, uh, you know, no one's really trying to over game it. Okay. But, um, you said there is the positional stage. So standing, kneeling, seated, and then unsupported prone. Correct. Oh no, you can be you can you can be on your bipods. Oh, you can be in your bipod. Yeah, okay. You your bipods. That makes it way nicer. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um yeah, so expect to expect to hold your rifle, guys. Yeah. So that's the only hard stage uh, as far as you might have to use a little muscle. Uh, but like I said, I'll write it. There will be some equipment allowed that will help you in your endeavors uh, for that stage. Um, there will be a unique stage out there. I will have the Humvee out there. And nice. It does have a swing arm on there with a uh, ball head on there. So if you can get the idea of what might be happening off of that one. So, mm-hmm. Um, but so everybody know. listen to the podcast so you can hear what the match is going to be like. <laughs> so uh, there are definitely, if you shot at JTAC Ranch with a GCP, you're not going to be shooting the same stages during the day. I refuse to make it a night version of the same thing. Okay. Uh, uh, this is under the GCP Rifle Club. However, we're not doing GCP Rifle stages. Okay. I mean, there's so many... Like knowing the props that are out there, you're probably going to change up the props, which is fine. And I know the two shooting lanes that are out there, which is fine. So like you're going to be able to change it up, but, and it'll be different, but how different can, I mean, how different can you really make it? You shoot, you shoot 20 or 30 one day matches. You've seen a lot of different stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, is there going to be moving from one position to a different position? Sure. Is there going to be, you know, moving heights? Sure. All it is is position building. So exactly. don't think about it as, you know, oh, I'm not going to be able to see what I'm doing. Like if you've got a red light, like around your neck or whatever, you'll be, you'll be good. Yeah. Seeing, the, be... seeing, seeing the stage is barely the battle right there. Yep. Uh, the, the hardest battle that you're going to have is getting that scope on target. Yep. Okay. And that is, uh, if so, if you don't have an illuminated reticle, uh, zoom is your friend. Uh, and you got to find that target and then zoom back in on it and keep that reticle on there. Uh, if you have an illuminated reticle, zoom still your friend. Oh, uh, yeah. In a sea of black, uh, 
you still got to find the correct uh, target. Yeah, because so. the target is lit, but the berm isn't. So when you fire that shot and you don't see where you missed, mm -hmm. good luck. <laughs> yeah. So, but definitely, uh, definitely a challenging thing. It's something new. Uh, and I think a lot of the guys, if you're a hunter, if you like shooting coyotes or doing any type of uh, pig hunting at night, this will be something uh, for you. It's like spotlight shooting, but very far. Yes. So, um, so that's that's where I get at where I try to describe it to people who are like, I don't know. What do I want to do? You know, I don't want to shoot. Have you ever shot a uh, pig at night? Yeah, I do it all the time. Oh, same thing, just farther. <laughs> yeah, same thing, farther. They're not moving. Yeah. Like, it's a good time. And, and you might walk away with a free tripod. Yeah, there you go. Free tripod, free, you know, you said you got uh suppressor company on board you've got oh, yeah. vortex on board oh, I'll, I'll tell you all the sponsors if you'd like yeah well tell them to me and then send them to me that way i can tag them in the the show notes absolutely all right here we go if i don't screw it up <laughs> all right our sponsors uh gcp rifle company Osways, rick over there always been a supporter of it uh, we got MGM Targets, Travis Gibson out there, Tom Fuller at Armageddon Gear. Uh, we have Mr. Laughlin at Vortex Optics, uh, the guys over at Area 419, uh, KG Made Suppressors, Manners uh, Composite Stocks. Uh, I'm working on getting a gas gun company. I don't really want to say it out loud yet because I'm still trying to talk to them. Uh, Everly Stock is putting a bag on the table. Nice. Uh, Love their stuff. Oh, yeah. And that is currently it for our sponsors at this time. Uh, and like I said, I'm working on another company who's uh, a gas gun company. Nice. Uh, see if they're going to put anything else nice there on the table. Heck um, yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a good little, a good little mix. Oh yeah, so I'm I'm very excited. Uh, I I'm, my goal my goal every year and it has not been met. And if anybody wants to help me make this goal, uh, is to get this match sold out. If we can okay. sell this match out, that would be amazing. Um, and again, I don't keep a I don't keep a cent of it. All right, right. You want to see, see my books or what I spend it on? By all means, I'm more than happy to. Like I said, this isn't for me. This isn't for me to make money. This isn't a cash grab. This is to raise money for these guys so they can get equipment. And how many slots do you have available for the match? 80 slots. 80 slots for the match. Okay. So let me see if I can put together a crew to go shoot a night match. <laughs> so if you can't show up and you want to make a do donation, I'm more than happy to take donations. Okay. So, yeah. That sounds awesome as well, because like I said, um, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely this is on my list. Like this is an awesome match. I had a blast last year. I still shoot with dudes that I met at this match last year. Brandon Massey, you're one of them. He was the one that had the shooting the single leg shooting stick <laughs> that we ended up using. That was his. Um, yeah. So it was. uh that was a good time. He, he, he broke a lot of people's hearts that year. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. He <laughs> like people were pissed. Cause then I asked him, I was like, Hey bud, can I borrow that? And he's like, yeah, just bring it to me when you're done. And then everybody's like, Oh, it's stage equipment. You got to leave it. I'm like, 
no, bro, this isn't mine. I had to ask a dude. You can go run down there and ask him. Um, I did say tripod. Yeah, no, you said no tripods, but not a monopod. Yep, yep. So you got me there. Yeah. I mean, now with the now with your your triple leg, um, (laughs) triple leg sky pods, like standing could be difficult or could be a lot easier if you bend those things in and then stretch them all the way out. I'm just saying. Um, I started shooting in 2014 and somebody just came out with the Harris bipod uh, attachment legs. And that was all <laughs> the rage. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're like, yeah, they're, like, they're super huge. Long. Yeah. And then people were like, attach them. And then uh, I think it was Brian Morgan and uh, Shannon Kay. They had the reverse roof. Mm-hmm. So people were sitting sideways on the reverse roof and everyone was like, somebody popped down those 40 inch bipods from Harris. Like, yeah, ting, ting, ting. And they were all the rage. And all of a sudden, nobody, everyone realized, like, man, this is, I, I hate this. So I never, <laughs> I never saw them again. Yeah, I've seen the, I've seen the double and the triple leg um, sky pods at uh, like the NRL Hunter matches, which I'm wearing an NRL Hunter shirt right now, um, where like they do a reverse roof or they did like a, a, a log or something like that. And they extended their, their bipod out and then use the back of the rifle on the log is their rifle touching the prop mm-hmm. and we're able to get all their hits. I'm like, Hey man, like in my, in my line of work, it's like, it's up to the bomb builder's imagination, right? Well, it's up to the shooter's imagination to employ his gear to impact the target. Yep. He did his job. Yep. Right. So February 18th, February 18th. Which is a Saturday. Saturday. Okay, so four dudes that are traveling. Like, that's a six and a half-ish hour drive for me. Mm-hmm. Mulberry is the closest town. What lodging accommodations, food, like, is there a bunch of stuff in that area? Is this place out in the middle of the sticks? What so, do um, people need to know if they're traveling to Mulberry to come shoot this match? So Lakeland is right around the corner. Okay. Um, so if you want a nicer hotel, you're probably going to have to stay in Lakeland. Uh, okay. There, there are smaller hotels within the area that's going to be at Plant City or towards the interstate. Okay. There's a days in right off the interstate uh, with a Waffle House. So if you're religious, uh, <laughs> going up to Altus and getting your Waffle House in before you shoot, by all means, there's a Waffle House over there. So uh, get that done. Uh, but as far as lodging and food, you might have to drive probably about 15 minutes uh, before you get something uh, from the ranch. Okay. That's not bad at all. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I usually just crash on the floor with Rick and Corey um, for the GCP matches. So just letting people know, cause like if it, when it was at um, Georgia at arena, like I can make a three and a half hour drive after the match. That's not a problem. I'm not making a six hour drive after the match. No that's not going to happen. Um, especially when it's going to get over well into the night. I think we were done last year at like 10. Uh, no, we were done at, uh, 12. So, uh, no, we're done at 1130 and then, uh, awards were done at about 12 o'clock. Okay. Um, yeah, so definitely get a hotel crash with some crash with some buddies. Um, I'm going to see if I can put together a team. 
Um, I'm really going to try and figure out if I'm going or not and get a team together and come down there and see if, if team team Altus boys, team North Florida can, can put something together for you guys. Have a good time. Um, so with the awards or what, um, first, second, third divisions, top mill, like, what is that looking like? Is it following the standard PRS flow for awards? uh there will be a first place, a second place, a third place, a top tech, and a top mill. Okay. Uh, the the top lady, top junior, and all that will get a nice little shout out. The top production will get a nice little shout out, uh, and their points will still count. Okay. Uh, tro- as far as getting uh, trophy hardware, uh, top three, uh, tech, and mill. Okay. Uh, my goal is uh, to make sure that a uh, law enforcement or military guy takes at least first or second. So hopefully I'd like to have a really nice show up with those guys. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I can, uh, I'm thinking of one mit, one LE that, uh, that might be able to make it. Um, yeah, man, what else do you want to throw out there? We've been, we've been jacking our jaws for like an hour and a half now. What do you, <laughs> uh, what else do you, what else do you want to put out there between military service your law enforcement. There's a bunch of other law enforcement questions that I want to ask you, but those are going to have to be in person over a beer <laughs> and not on a public, uh, public form. Oh yeah. Uh, I will, I will say this, uh, as far as if you're transitioning and getting out, because I, I try to do my best and I think I've said it more times again is nobody cares about your military service. So get that out of your head, but if you are going to apply for a job in law enforcement, there's a couple of things that you can do to help your odds that you can use your military service uh, to help you. Your NCOERs, uh, I think they're still called that now, right? Yeah, uh, they're still NCOERs. All right. Uh, it changes all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Nobody cares that you've been to ALC, BNOC, or anything of those schools. However, your NCOERs are an actual evaluation. It's a formal evaluation. Get your last three. Right, and make that part of your submission of your application into these law enforcement agencies. So that, that way they can actually see that there is an evaluation of you. All right. Okay. Um, if you're going to get a resume done, don't put your weapons qualifications in there. Like, oh, I scored expert every year on the M4. Um, put some leadership schools that you have been to, put a normal resume together. Put, uh, put actual leadership time um, and anything that you can show that, you know, you're not a robot, you're not a killer or anything like that. Uh, so take, take that and find a professional resume uh, writer if you can, or find somebody who's in the workforce in uh, recruitment or anything like that and have them build your resume, right? I don't, I know ACAP is filled with people who left the army, all right, to join the civilian world to tell you how to get into the civilian world without ever being in the civilian world. ACAP was miserable for me. Yeah, and ACAP, for those that don't know, is like the military's mandatory transitioning program for the Air Force. It's called TAPS, Transition Assistance Program uh, and Services. So that's just the army's version of it. It's basically like a week to two weeks of getting a bunch of briefings that you're not really paying attention to somebody that got out of the military is going to tell you, Oh, this is super important. And this is how it's done, but they've already secured a job and have probably been doing it a while. So they haven't actually transitioned in quite some time. Exactly. 
And then if you're planning on getting out, start this plan at least a year in advance. I'm talking to my buddy, Jorge, who's getting ready to retire. Oh, yeah. The Air Force, and I already blew his phone up. I was like, you better be looking right now. Your resume needs to be good. You need to get a federal resume done. And if you haven't done a federal resume, it's not a normal one-page paper. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm already on his butt right now trying to make sure that he transitions properly. Is he coming back to Florida? Uh, I cannot say... Uh, anything because i don't know so. fair enough i hope he comes back this way <laughs> i agree i'm bugging him i told him he could sleep in my other room yeah uh, like i've got a guest room i've got it i'm sitting in the gun room right now the only thing in here is guns and reloading stuff so exactly and then the last thing i would say is as far as towards the match if you want to help for this match uh there's two ways that you can help me uh or sorry three ways one get people to show up please share please uh do whatever you can to help promote this match and get people to sign up Two, if you want to donate by all means contact me directly and you can donate i'll do a shout out if you want me to put a t-shirt on and say hey this company is awesome uh they just donated one dollar i don't care a dollar two dollars a million dollars whatever it may be i don't care that money is not going to me uh and then uh three uh, uh if you want to donate to the prize table to help encourage people by all means i'll shout you out i'll do whatever i can okay uh, this isn't this match again isn't about me this is about the teams that are going to be protecting your family so okay awesome um well q i greatly appreciate your time tonight let me uh sign off here uh where can people find you so like how do people actually get in touch with you Right, so I'm very bad at social media. Uh, I do have a website. Uh, it's ghost5tactical.com. Uh, I am on the Facebooks. Uh, so ghost5tactical and uh, Instagram, ghost5tactical. And if you want my personal, it's kdosmorgan. Uh, okay. As far as uh, on, the in, uh, on the interwebs. All right, man. Uh, stand by for me while I sign this off. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for joining the podcast tonight. We were talking with Q Morgan, former... 11 Bravo, Army, uh, sniper qualified, current law enforcement in the uh, Central Florida area, doing good things with one, his department, and two, helping out with other law enforcement sniper sections in the state of Florida, trying to get our local law enforcement guys better equipment and better training. So if you want to support them, go ahead like and share this podcast so it reaches more people like and follow him on his socials my socials are at hot gd rod on instagram at another gd podcast on instagram guy.demarco.84 at gmail.com is the email address if you want to hit me up if you guys have any questions comments concerns hit me up let me know and I can get you in contact with Q or get your questions on anything else. All right. Thanks guys.